Before I get into the message today, I want to take a moment and celebrate a few things. And as most of you probably know, typically on Mother's Day, we will try to give out some uh, prizes to different moms, and we'll do that toward the end of the service today. But first, let me just say Happy Mother's Day. Many of the greatest people that I know are moms, and all of the greatest people that I know had moms or have moms. So it is a blessing to be able to celebrate you today. For certain, it is good and it is right that we honor mothers today, but that is something that we probably ought to be doing every day. And whether your mother is alive today or not, I encourage you to take a moment and to reflect on how God used her to shape you into the person that you are today. Give thanks to the Lord for your mom. Many times the sacrifice that she gave went unnoticed, but it mattered because it helped to shape who you are today. Somewhat related to Mother's Day, I want to take a moment and celebrate the recent statements, and I know some of y'all may not like me going this direction, but the recent statements that have come out of the Supreme Court, believing that life begins at the moment of conception. The practice of abortion has been one of the greatest tragedies that America has ever seen. I know that some of you likely would rather me not talk about anything political, but the truth is this is more than political. This argument is related to justifying abortion, and it does not trump the sixth commandment, which says, thou shalt not commit murder. So this is not just a political issue. This is a scriptural issue. Thou shalt not murder includes in the womb. And at times we look in judgment upon those in the scriptures who do horrible things. We think of the Egyptians who ordered that all Jewish babies be thrown into the Nile. Or we think about the former inhabitants of the land of Canaan. They worshipped a god named Moloch. And one of their common practices was to offer their infant children as a human sacrifice, killing the child in a fire. But through abortion, as a culture, we are no different than those whom we judge so harshly. Now, there are two important things that need to be addressed by us, as it does appear that Roe v. Wade may be nearing its end. First, we need to be an agent of grace to the many ladies and gentlemen who have bought into the lies of the abortion industry. They've been told that it's my body and therefore it's my choice, only to carry the weight of guilt when they accept the fact that they have taken the life of a helpless child. I want you to know that this is a great sin, but all sin is great. And what that means is that their sin is no worse than your sin or my sin. So let us offer them grace. God can and he will forgive if only we will confess and turn from our sin. But the second part of this is very practical and it probably needs our attention now. While the upcoming Supreme Court decision will not abolish abortion. It will give states the opportunity to limit such procedures significantly. What happens when fewer abortions 
are taking place across our land. I would love to tell you that people will be more conscientious about the need for sexual purity, but that's not necessarily going to happen. And it's possible that we will see an increase in births that lead to a much greater need for adoption and foster care. What are we going to do about that need? Are the people here, are there people here who are willing to open up their homes to another child? Are there people here who are willing to come, aside, come alongside other families as they do just that? Are we as a church willing to put resources into supporting local crisis pregnancy centers for the sake of making sure that they are able to provide for these soon-to-be moms? It is time for us to stop talking about it, and it's time for us to get ready. Let's be available to help those who are in need. Nobody knows for sure when the official statement will come out from the Supreme Court, but we need to be prepared now for what is to come. What a great opportunity we have to be the hands and feet of Jesus to a world that desperately needs Jesus. And I celebrate what's taking place but there is a great responsibility that falls upon us because of what is taking place. So let's be ready for it. Before I get into my message, sorry, none of that's my message. It's coming. Before I get into my message this morning, I would like to pray specifically for you and for the church as we prepare for what God is doing. Our Heavenly Father, we begin today with confession. We have allowed sin to reign in our nation. And right now we ask for your forgiveness. We also pray that you would allow things to fall into place so that this wrong could be made right. I pray that you would be with each of our Supreme Court justices. Help them to make wise decisions, not only related to this issue of abortion, but they have a great responsibility. Help them to make wise decisions that are in line with your word. And help the citizens of this land to accept these wise decisions. I also pray for your grace to be extended to each one who has bought into the lie. And I pray that you would already open up doors for us to meet needs as a result of this decision. Use us to help raise a generation of children ready to serve you with all of their hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me go back to where I started. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Mother's Day is a holiday that is celebrated around the world in many different ways and sometimes even at different points on the calendar. The first real emphasis of an official Mother's Day in the United States was initiated by a woman named Anne Reeves Jarvis. In the years before the Civil War, Anne Reeves Jarvis of West Virginia helped start what was called Mother's Day Work Clubs to teach local women how to properly care for their children. These clubs later became a unifying force in a region of the country that was still divided over the Civil War. 
1868, Jarvis organized Mother's Friendship Day, at which mothers gathered with former Union and Confederate soldiers to promote reconciliation. It's funny how mothers seem to be a central force in bringing peace so often. But following Anne Reeves Jarvis' death in 1905, her daughter Anna took it a step further, seeking to honor her mother, as well as the many sacrifices that all moms make. In May of 1908, for the first time, a day was set aside in partnership with a business owner in Philadelphia to honor mothers. And by 1912, recognition of this day had spread throughout many states and municipalities And in 1914, President Woodrow Wilson officially signed a measure making the second Sunday in May Mother's Day. Ironically, by 1920, Anna, the young lady who started Mother's Day, was fighting to abolish the celebration of Mother's Day. It wasn't that she no longer valued the influence and sacrifice of mothers but she objected to the commercialization of such a holiday. She would fight for the rest of her life. And in 1948, when she died, she was still fighting to abolish Mother's Day, but it had already taken root in our land. For most of us, we probably don't care too much about the historical side of Mother's Day. Instead, we celebrate Mother's Day as a reminder of God's blessing in our lives. For the vast majority of us, we are able to look back upon those who have mightily influenced us. We are grateful for the sacrifice and recognize that our moms deserve recognition. That doesn't mean that they were or are perfect, but it means that we very much appreciate their influence and what they have done for us. Today, I want us to use the mother of Jesus as a model of what motherhood ought to look like. We're still in the same series that we've been working through entitled Eyewitness Views, and I can't imagine anybody having a more intimate view of Jesus Christ throughout his life and ministry than his mother. His mother, Mary, saw the highlights and the valleys. Some have immortalized her as if she were a god, but the truth is that she was just as human as any of us. And that means that she struggled. She worried. She wept. She went through all of the things that we face today, but she was a woman of God. We're first introduced to her in Luke chapter 1, verse 28, as one who is highly favored. This indicates two things in particular. First, it suggests that she is a woman who was likely faithful to the Lord. Again, she's still human, which means she has fallen short just like the rest of us, but her life seems to stand out amongst her peers. The Lord has taken notice of her. I wonder, would the Lord say the same thing about you? Would he look at you and say, you who are highly favored, I am proud of who you are as a man or as a woman of God. But the second part of her being highly favored is a suggestion that God had a great plan for her life. There's no doubt that a great plan was about to be played out for her. 
She would birth the Son of God, and she would be given the responsibility of raising him, likely knowing all the while that he would eventually become the sacrifice for our sins. I say that she likely knew about it because we've already established the fact that she was a woman of God, which means she ought to have known the scriptures where it talks about the lamb, the lamb who would bear the sins of all humanity. She knew that this was probably her son. What a ride this must have been for her. Can you imagine the moments of celebration that would take place? The fun she likely had with the Savior of the world. Can you imagine the many times that she would begin to quote the scriptures to her son only to have him finish them for her? Can you imagine the peace that she felt as she held the Christ child in her arms? But just as she would rejoice over her son, she would also grieve over him. I wonder how many times she heard the Pharisees express their hatred of this Jesus. I wonder how many times she would be reminded in the, of the Old Testament scriptures, which declared that by his stripes, we would be healed. Were there times that she seemed to live in perpetual fear, waiting for the prophecies to be fulfilled in him. And then there's the encounter at the cross of Jesus. She has watched the religious leaders stir up trouble for Jesus. They falsely accused him. And although he had done so much good for others, they arranged to have him killed. How difficult this must have been for his mother. We've often thought about how difficult it was for Jesus, but can you imagine watching your own children suffer at the hands of others, knowing that he has done nothing but good for all of humanity? After all, this was the one who could calm storms. <laughs> he could heal the sick. He could raise the dead. She had to know he could put a stop to this anytime he wanted, but she had to sit and watch, but he didn't. So at the cross, we see Jesus address his mother. I gave you a reference there a few minutes ago from Luke chapter 1. But we see Jesus address his mother in John chapter 19, verse 25 to 27. This is what it says. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman. Here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. I just want to say that when he addresses his mother with woman, it is not an insult. I think if I called my mom woman, she'd probably slap me. But in that moment, Jesus is in no way being rude or disrespectful to his mother. He is actually identifying her, and he wants to make sure that everyone knows who he is talking to. Woman. He is addressing this woman in such a way that she would have immediately been drawn to him. In a manner, what Jesus is doing here is taking care of his mother. It is supposed that by this time her husband Joseph is no longer alive. He certainly is no longer included in the narrative. 
And it is important to understand that according to their culture, the well-being of a widow typically became the responsibility of her children where it was possible. If she had no children, obviously that was not possible. Well, Jesus is no longer going to be physically alive. So he is making sure that his mom is taken care of. I will confess that I don't fully understand why he has to address this. And please don't get me wrong. I think it's important. And we know that it tells us in that passage that from that moment forward, she lived with John. But Mark 6, verse 2 and 3 says, When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, John, I'm sorry, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. But what I want you to notice there is Jesus had brothers. So why did John have to care for Mary? There should have been others who stepped up to the plate. All I can tell you for certain is that Jesus wanted to make sure that his mother was cared for, and therefore he partners her up with John. In 1 Timothy 5, 8, Paul writes, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Well, Jesus is committed to caring for his mother even in death. And while I think that Jesus would have been committed in this way regardless, simply because it was the right thing to do. I also believe that his mother was worthy of honor and respect. Well, what was it that made her so worthy? Now, I know that the passages that I'm going to use today are typically used around the Christmas story, but they do reveal much about Mary's character. As a mom, and I believe that within these scriptures, there is a model for us that is worthy of imitation. So I want to look at some of those attributes. The first thing I want you to see today is that Mary is a woman of God. I already mentioned this a little bit in my introduction, but it's what sets her apart from the very beginning. Remember the angel's words to her, greetings you who are highly favored. This suggests that not only was she blessed by God, but that she was a blessing to God. And where would that show up? It would show up in many ways. First, it's safe to assume that she was one who was faithful to the law of God. We see it multiple times throughout the story of Mary and Joseph, where the passage says, according to the law, or something else of that nature. Mary was faithful to the law. She did what the Lord and the law had instructed her to do. In fact, I've often wondered at how conflicted her parents must have been when they found out that she was pregnant. On the one hand, virgins don't get pregnant very often. But on the other hand, she claims that this is not a natural birth. I picture parents who worried very much about their children, but who thought that Mary was the good child. They expected great things of her. She will marry Joseph and she will represent our family well. Even in the declaration of Jesus' conception, 
She reveals that she was sexually pure. We're talking about someone who she has chosen to be faithful. Mom and dad are frustrated. How can this be? But do you remember her response to the angel? How can this be since I have never been with a man? You see, she was this lady who was trying to serve the Lord faithfully. And she knew that she had not done anything wrong. This was a woman of God who did more than just talk about her faith. This was a woman who lived it. I want you to know today that you have no greater responsibility to your children and to those others who are watching you than for you to be a woman of God. If you train your children to be financially successful or even good people, but you do not train them to be children of God, both you and your children have missed out. In Proverbs, we are told to train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is your greatest calling. So do it well. I want your kids to be successful. I want them to be great. I want them to be people who make a difference in the world. But the truth is, God is far more interested in making sure that your children become children of God. One last thought about this. Please understand that it is never too late to start on this. Maybe today your children are not serving the Lord. If they have breath in them and you have breath in you, then it is not too late. Show them what it is to be a child of God in your words, in your attitudes, and in your actions. And while I say that it's not too late, you need to know that this is not a decision that can wait until tomorrow. Sometimes you hear those words, well, it's never too late. Okay, well, we'll start next week. You can't afford to wait until next week. The problem for many of us is that we are well-intentioned about what we will do tomorrow or about what we will do next week. But sometimes tomorrow never comes. So begin today to model Christ to them. Make the Lord the number one priority in your life. But Mary also showed herself not only to be a woman of God, but she showed, showed herself to be a willing servant. In that same passage in Luke chapter 1, Mary listens to all that the angel has for her, and then she responds with a cautious yet confident voice. In Luke 1.38, Mary responds with these words, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be to me be fulfilled. As I read that, the first thing that I notice is the fact that she did not bargain with God. She doesn't talk about her plans and how this news will affect her. Do you think she had dreams? Do you think she had plans? Do you think she had some idea in place of what God was going to be able to do through her? Do you think she thought about the upcoming marriage that she had with Joseph and how great it's going to be with this man of God? You don't see her arguing with God, do you? Oh, she asks questions. How can this be? She doesn't argue with God. She doesn't reason with the angel that if God will do this, then she'll be willing to play her role. Instead, she simply says, I am the Lord's servant. In other words, 
whatever you want to do with me, I'm good with it. What an incredible response by a woman of God. I've often thought about this with my own mom. She could have been whatever she wanted. She could have done all kinds of stuff with her life. She's talented. She is smart. She's had some great opportunities, but she chose to be a mom. For the vast majority of her life, her identity has been found within that role. For years, my mom worked in an emergency room near our high school. The most common response she got when people saw her name tag was, are you Mike and Wally's mom? Wally is my twin brother. Close behind that was, are you Linda's mom? That would be my older sister named Linda, not my wife, Linda. We're not, never mind, I'll stop. Even today, living in a small town where most everybody knows everybody, one of the most common questions she gets, whether on Slew's campus, at the church, or even around town, are you Pastor Mike's mom? The point is that she could have done anything but she chose to be a mom. And y'all know that answering the call to motherhood is a big task. Sometimes you're the bus driver. Sometimes you're the cook. Sometimes the housekeeper, or maybe even the doctor or nurse. Your roles are always changing, but they're always important. Thank you to all of the ladies here who have demonstrated a servant's heart for your children. And thanks to my mom for surrendering your identity. What you have done matters, and it's part of the reason why I am who I am today. Well, I mentioned a moment ago that sometimes you're the bus driver. And I want you to know that even Mary drove the bus. I know that they didn't really have a bus, but she did... What she did was to make sure that her children got where they needed to be. I gave you two references for this from the scriptures. You'll see it in your text if you are keeping track of your outline. The first comes from Luke chapter 2, verse 22, where it says, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The second one comes 20 verses later in Luke 2:42, where it says, when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. What's important to see is that she and Joseph made a habit of getting their child where he was supposed to be. I'm not talking about taking them to school or to the latest recreational sport. Certainly those things can be great but they are secondary to what truly matters. They brought their child to church and you need to do the same thing. I was talking with someone this week about trying to teach our children and they said something that I've heard a thousand times before. I don't wanna force my kids to go to church. And I do appreciate that. I, I kinda like the idea of kids choosing to be in church I'm also aware that if you force your kids to go, there might come a day that they want nothing to do with the church because you forced them to previously. However, I want you to know this. 
First, whether you force them or not, somebody will be trying to force your kids to become what they want your kids to be. It's what the world does. I recently talked about the intentional effort by powerful media organizations like Disney who are intentionally trying to shape your children. Wouldn't you rather be the one to shape your children? But second, forcing your children to go to church may be one of the best things that you have ever done for your children. I've already mentioned my brother and sister this morning. When we were kids, we did not have the cho a choice about coming to church. I can still remember the first time we went to church. We were in about the sixth grade, might have been the fifth grade. We were young, and I remember my uncle had invited us for a church service, and actually it was some kind of fun activity thing they did on a Saturday, and the next day we went to church with them, and afterwards my mom asked us if we wanted to come back, and Absolutely. There were good-looking girls there. I wanted to be there. So yeah, we wanted to be there. Well, from that moment forward, we didn't have a choice. If the church doors were open, we were there. And my mom never believes on being last minute. So we were the first ones there. And then my mom also likes to talk, and somehow it skipped a generation because that's not me. I'm just kidding. Actually, I got it from my mom. So we were the last ones to leave. Church became a part of who we were. The rule for us was as long as you lived in my mom's household, you would be in church. The fact is that after we got out of the house, though, we didn't all do the same things. My sister is rarely in church today. My brother stepped away from the church, but he's now an active part of a church up in Pennsylvania. And then there's me. What I know for sure is that if I had not been forced to go to church as a child, I probably would not be where I am today. Who knows what God may choose to do through your children if only you would take them to church with you. And I will say the last text I read actually also brings me a little bit of hope. If you remember the story, this was the occasion that when everything was done, Mary and Joseph left to go home. They assumed that Jesus was with another family member or somebody else within their caravan. And then about a day later, they realized something was missing. It was Jesus. They had accidentally left him there at the temple. Well, I've been hearing about it for years, but Mary and Joseph were not the last ones to leave their kids at church. In fact, it has happened to me twice. <laughs> with Andrew, I assumed that he was with Linda, and Linda assumed that he was with me. Just as I was pulling up to the house, I received a phone call from someone in the church asking if I wanted them to bring him to us. <laughs> and then I just plain old forgot Alyssa here one night. I had been with the adults and she had been out with the youth. And when I was done, I went home. I think it was Ari who called me and recognized what I had done. And I think Ari is the one who has reminded me most of that since then. Apparently Mary and Joseph did it to their kids too. And Jesus turned out pretty good. So 
you'll be all right. So, <laughs> The last thing that I have for you is that within Mary, we also see a humble heart. On two occasions, there are, in Luke 2, 19 and in Luke 2, 51, we see Mary treasured things in her heart. There was no sense of arrogance, but almost a sense of, wow, what an honor this is. She was living in the moment. She knew that she would not always have Jesus in her home. And she wanted to cherish every moment she had with him, realizing that tomorrow would be very different. Parents, y'all know this, but when you have children, it is no longer just about you. It is about taking care of those around you. And you won't always have the opportunity to spend time with them so intimately. So cherish those moments now. Take advantage of the opportunity to spend time with them, to love on them, because tomorrow will likely be very different than today. In Jesus' case, I wonder if Mary knew much of what Jesus would eventually face. Certainly she knew the scriptures. Did she connect the dots? I don't know. Many of the disciples did not until after the resurrection would take place. Did Mary know? Mark Lowry wrote a song many years ago entitled, Mary, Did You Know? And it asked many of these questions. And while I don't know the answers to these Mary, Did You Know? questions, what I do know is that she cherished the moments that she had with her child. And you need to do the same. Many of you today... As you celebrate Mother's Day, your mom is still alive. If she's here with you today, celebrate the fact that you get to spend time with your mom. If she's not, if she's still alive, you need to reach out to her today. Thank her for her heart, for her willingness to serve and to sacrifice. And hopefully you're also able to thank her for the example she set as a woman of God. If she is not here today, as in she is no longer alive, I challenge you to take today as an opportunity to simply give thanks to the Lord for what you have been blessed with. So often we take for granted the people that are in our lives until after they are gone. Cherish the fact that God has been so generous to you by who he has given you. If you're a mom today and your children are still alive, I challenge you you be the model that they need of what it means to be a child of God. The reality is Jesus was the son of God. And regardless of what Mary did, God was going to accomplish his plan. But we see at the cross, Jesus almost appreciating the woman that God had placed in his life. I want you to be that kind of woman for your children too. I believe today that this is a great day for us to honor our mothers, and we ought to, but I think every day ought to be like that. Make sure you live in a way that your kids will know what it is to be a child of God. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we are grateful for our mothers. We're grateful for the individuals that have sacrificed for us, who have been models for us, who got us where we needed to go took care of us when we had fallen and scraped knees. They were individuals who sacrificed working extra, spending time at home 
maybe even willingly choosing not to be recognized for their own greatness. But Father, we recognize that their greatness is not defined in the way that the world defines their greatness. These are some of the greatest people we have ever known. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be those kinds of people. Help us to be what the generation behind us is looking for. Lord, I pray that you would help them to see within us men and women of God who are fully devoted to you above everything else. Father, I pray that you would help us to lead them so that as they come along, that they would be a generation that will honor you. Would help us today to give thanks to those who have already done just that. Father, we celebrate Mother's Day, but more than that, we celebrate you. And I pray that you would help us to simply appreciate what you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I mentioned that at the end of the service today, we would be honoring some moms. And one of the ways we do that is to the, you know, sometimes churches will give out like everybody gets a flower or everybody gets a, I don't know, for the guys, I think we get like utility knives and all that kind of stuff. But um, we actually are going to do a drawing instead. First of all, is are there any ladies in here who did not get to put your name on a piece of paper when you came in and put it on a, in a basket there with my mom? I see one in the back there. Actually, you got a pen? Just write Kay Seegers on there. Is there anyone else? I see one in the back, but I can't see who you are. Shannon, okay. Put Shannon Ray on there as well. See, that's good that you're just writing it because you'd have had to walk all the way up there to get to Shannon. So, okay. <laughs> all right, so we're going to do a drawing, and we actually have uh, three prizes that we're going to give out today. And uh, one of them is a manicure. Uh, actually, it's that bag right there, I do believe. Um, uh, one of them is a manicure, so we'll give that one away first. And then we're going to give out two cakes. I don't know if y'all appreciate cakes. The husbands are saying, let's go. I want my wife to win. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, the cakes actually were made by Lee Hedden as well. So uh, great opportunity for us to support someone else in the community. So Lee, would you stand up just so they knew who, know who made that? I heard someone say who. That was Lee. So we're very grateful. So. Yeah, it wasn't Lee Mills fault. I don't think he'd want his cakes. So, all right. So the first one, which is for the the gift card for the manicure, is blank, completely blank. Jimmy. <laughs> Sherry Davis. Where's she at? You can tell we cater to the moms. We bring it to you afterwards. So, The second one is, actually, I just grabbed two of them now, so that way you can go hand deliver them. The first one is Gail Sexton. And then the third one 
is Jackie Hedden. So even though we celebrate all the moms, we are grateful to be able to specifically give to these three individuals. You have all given so much. We could never say thank you enough for all that our moms have done. But it is an opportunity just to say we love you and we appreciate you. Thank you all for being with us this morning and go in peace.